As uh, we open the Word of God together today, we're going to be going to John chapter 6. If you know, uh, that's in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, John chapter 6. And uh, you can look in the Bible or we'll have it up on the screen for you in a minute. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, your Word is so important to us. We, We find in your Word you. We find you. We find your will. We find understanding of, of you and what you want to happen in our lives. Today is especially true of that as we look into the story from Jesus' ministry here on earth. Very important day. Very important thing for us to learn. Uh, so I pray that our hearts and our ears will be open to you and to your spirit. Um, and that all of us would learn something today. And it would change who we are through Christ. Amen. You know, we live in a troubled world. We live in a world with many issues, many problems. We might as well admit it. You know, we could, we could pretend that it's not so, and, you know, we have a special day. We want to, you know, have special things going on and not really think about the troubles of the world. Easter Sunday, you know, is one of the best days in a Christian's calendar. It's one of the most enjoyable days, perhaps, for your family. I, I know we've got lunch planned. We've got a little Easter egg hunt going for the kids today, and so I'm really looking forward to that, and I, I enjoy a good spring day. Well, maybe not quite as good a spring day as it could be, but let's admit it. Our world is in a mess, so I want to begin there. I'm sorry. I want to begin there. People have many problems. People have financial problems. A lot of struggles going on financially today. People have broken relationships. Their friendships, their their work relationships, their marriages, uh, parent and child relationships, just a a bunch of things there. People have fear of all kinds today. And, you know, I would describe our world today as a world of discord, distrust, and dissatisfaction. Uh, This is a troubled place. We avoid watching the evening news because it's too depressing. And uh, the shows that are on primetime are, are almost as bad, aren't they? Uh, most of them focus on the darker, seamier side of life. You know, that, that's, that's what we get into today in America. Uh, and don't get me started on the movies at the movie theater, you know. that There's, there's a whole area of this where we say, that's entertainment? You know, why would I want to be entertained that way? Well, now that I've totally destroyed Easter for you, um, we're going to go on with the message. We can all just go home now. We're depressed. We're discouraged. Just go home, a big pity party or something. But that's not my desire. The reason I want to bring it all up, the reason I mentioned our messed up world is because I have good news to share today, and I'm excited about that good news. I have a message of hope to bring to you today and to me today. More than any other day of the year, this day on which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is a day of hope. And so I want to talk about hope today. Easter should be the most hopeful day of our year. Is it a day of hope for you? Only you can answer that. Is this a day of hope for you? I hope it it is, because it should be. Would you say that you are generally a hopeful person? You know, you're the person that's the pessimist or an optimist. You know, you look at a, a glass that is half full or half empty. 
Which way do you look at? Are you a hopeful person? Even better, are you a hope-filled person? You look at the future, even in your struggles, and know something better is to come. Because I want you to know, God has hope for you. Do you need hope as you look at the world around us, as you look at maybe your own life, and, and some of that is, is this dissatisfaction and trouble and, and difficulties? Are you filled with hope? Are you feeling more and more hopeless? Or are you feeling more and more hopeful? Now, I know it's Easter. You may be thinking about a nice meal or family time together. You may be anticipating a lot of good things today. But would you take just a few minutes with me now, and let's have a very serious conversation about hope. Years ago, an S-4 submarine was accidentally rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts, and it sank immediately with the whole crew inside. There was no way for them to get out. There was no way for them to escape this prison house of death. And every effort was made from the surface to go down to this crew trapped at the bottom of the ocean, many, many feet beneath the surface. But ultimately, all of those efforts failed. They couldn't come up with a solution to save those people's lives. And near the end of this ordeal, when they knew time was running out, when air was running out, a deep-sea diver who was doing everything in his power to find a way for the crew's release got near the sub, and he thought he heard a tapping sound on the hull of that, shub, that sub. And so he, he placed his helmet over against the side of the vessel, and he realized that tapping sound was the Morse code. And so he kind of got as close as he could to this hull of this sub and, and began spelling out in his mind the message that was being tapped out from within. And someone inside was repeating the same question over and over again. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Of course, he knew the answer, and the person inside figured out the answer in their situation. This is the same question that many people in our world are asking today. Is there any hope? Is there any reason to have hope? Well, in Jesus Christ, we always have hope. And that's why I say I have a message of good news today, a message of hope. There is no situation in life that we can face that is truly hopeless if we have Jesus Christ. Our circumstances may seem to be hopeless, but when we are in Christ, we are never hopeless. And I like what Philip Parham said when he said this, God believes in me. Therefore, my situation is never hopeless. God walks with me. Therefore, I am never alone. God is on my side. Therefore, I cannot lose. <laughs> when God is in your life, when Jesus Christ is in your life, that which seemed hopeless is not. And this morning, I want us to look at a couple of days in Jesus' life in John chapter 6. It opens with Jesus by the Sea of Galilee, which is predominant water feature in Israel. Thousands of people were following him because they had seen him healing the sick day after day. Jesus got to this other side of the lake and uh, was there with his disciples and he saw all these people coming toward them. I mean thousands of people coming toward them as they sat there on this hillside overlooking the lake. And he asked his disciples a question. He already knew the answer that what he was going to go to, but he asked them this question kind of a, as a test for them. He said, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? <laughs> you know, 
it's, it's noontime. These people are going to get hungry. How are we going to feed them? And one of them said, well, you know, I don't know, because it'd take eight months' wages just to give everybody a bite. <laughs> give them one little bite of food, and it would take as much as somebody could learn in eight, eight months and earn. And uh, another one said, well, you know, I found this little boy over here. He's got a lunch. His mother thought ahead. She packed a lunch for him. But what could that do among so many people? Well, Jesus took that little bit of food from that boy's lunch, and he fed over 5,000 people that day. I don't know how he did that. I mean, we couldn't explain it except the power of God in a miraculous way. He just kept producing food. He, he'd pick up the fish and the bread again, and he'd produce more fish and bread. And eventually they got done, and he fed a multitude of people. From that little boy's lunch, Jesus produced enough food that everyone left there stuffed. And later on, he says, yeah, they had their fill. Nobody was asking for any more when we got done. 5,000 people. Now, people know a good thing when they see it, don't they? They say, oh, here's free lunch. And when they, they saw this, they came to Jesus, John tells us, and they begged him to become their king. Here's a king that, that doesn't need us to give him anything. He's not going to tax us. He's got it all. He just produced more food anytime he wants to. But Jesus refused to become their earthly king, and he withdrew up into a mountain by himself, John tells us. Well, the disciples are left there not knowing what to do. Jesus is gone. The people are starting to disperse. And so they got down to the lake, they got into a boat, and they started making their way back across the lake to where they lived at that time in Capernaum. The wind was against them. They had a very tough time getting across the lake, and now it's getting dark, and they're still rowing, and they're only you know, partway across the lake, and the waves are getting higher, and they're getting fearful for their lives, and suddenly Jesus appears at the edge of their boat walking on the water. Now they were really scared because they weren't sure who it was, and Jesus quickly calmed their fears. He said, it is I. Do not be afraid, and he immediately got into the boat, and then John says, immediately, as soon as he got into the boat, the boat made it to shore. They made it all the way to Capernaum. And another miracle. So we've got a string of miracles going on here. The next day, this crowd that had been miraculously fed by Jesus the day before starts looking around for him. They knew he went up into the mountain. He didn't come back down as far as they knew. They saw the disciples go across the lake. So what happened to Jesus? And somehow they got wind as another boat came over, I think, from Capernaum that they were over there. And so a bunch of them got into the boats and they went searching Jesus in this city called Capernaum. And they found him and his disciples there. I want you to think about these people that got fed miraculously and then they're looking for Jesus. They wanted him to become king. He refuses that, but they're still clamoring, still wanting Jesus, still longing for Jesus. Who are these people? How are they thinking? I don't think they really understood Jesus. They only saw him for what he could do for them physically. They saw him as a meal ticket. They saw him as somebody that could provide or somebody they knew could heal people. They had sick people in the family. Some of them had been injured, and Jesus could heal everybody that was ever presented with if that was his will to do that. And so they're thinking, this is a guy that can solve all of our physical problems. But I think these people are only thinking about physical realities. They liked what they saw in Jesus. They liked his abilities. They liked that he didn't back down from the religious leaders that everybody else was scared of. And they thought, if we could just make him our Messiah, our king, 
And we could drive the Romans out of here. We could have him be the king. He'd just provide everything we need. What a, what a wonderful world this would be. But Jesus' ministry was not focused on these things. They, they didn't get that. That was not his intent. He came not to create an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. He came to call people to repentance and to get their hearts back with God, to get right with God. Jesus' ministry was not just about healing people. It's not just about feeding people. He didn't come to fix and take care of all of our physical needs, although many times he does help us with those. He was always looking for something deeper, something that you couldn't really see with your eyes, something that may seem to be invisible, although every once in a while you get a little evidence of it. You see it actually happening. And he was urging people to look deeper at their lives and to realize that there is more to life than putting bread on your table every day. Do you know that? Do you know that we are eternal creatures? Do you know that we are more than flesh and bone? Do you realize that it's not just this body that you can touch, which is only a temporary house for your spirit, for your soul, which is eternal? All of us have eternal souls that will live on even after our bodies wear out and die. We will all die someday. And we need to ask ourselves, then what? <laughs> What's after that? Where will we spend eternity? Will I spend it with God or without God? It's a big, important question. Many people work very hard to get to heaven, don't they? They think that they have uh, this, this way of living, this, this perfect life that's described maybe by some religious leader or somebody that invented something somebody that created another way to follow God or to go after God or to achieve nirvana or whatever the dream might be, some way of, of getting beyond this, this low physical existence and, and into the next life, into eternal life. So many elaborate religious schemes have been developed, been devised, and we are told in many of these places that there are a lot of rules that we have to keep and there are a lot of rituals that we have to do. Otherwise, we won't be saved. Otherwise, we won't get there. But here in John 6, now we get to our text. John tells us exactly what God expects of us. He tells us exactly what the work is that God wants from us. What is it that God wants for us to do to be saved? To be saved from our sins and to go to heaven. John chapter 6. Jesus' disciples have made their way to Capernaum. The other people have figured out this is where he is. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> they never saw him leave the other side. But he's there on the other side of the lake. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw miracles, miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You got your bellies filled. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Well, they still weren't following him. So then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Believe in the one that he has sent. Believe in the one that he has sent. P. 
People have grabbed onto all kinds of religious rituals and rules. But Jesus simply said it this way. What God wants, what God requires is simply this. Believe in the one God has sent to save us. In other words, believe in Jesus. Now understand this. This is not just simply believing who Jesus is. This is not just saying, well, I know he's the son of God. Well, I know that he lived on earth. I know that people claim that such and such is true about him. This is believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, putting our confidence in Jesus to save us from our sins. Now, these people who came looking for Jesus were only looking for a handout. They're looking for another meal. They're looking for somebody to take care of them physically. And that's what Jesus said. He says, I know you came looking for me, not because of of the miracles even uh, uh, that I heal people, because of the food I gave you. Don't just work for food like that, food that's going to spoil, food that won't last. Work for the food that will last for eternity. Jesus was saying, don't just think about this life. Don't just think about what you can see. Don't just think about the things that your senses can experience. Think about a reality, a life that you can't see with your eyes. These people's lives had no spiritual death. Uh, depth, no, no spiritual meaning. All they saw was what they saw because they limited themselves to only seeing things that their eyes could physically see. They never dared to believe that there was more to life than what they could see or touch physically. Now, how about us? There's a good question for all of us this morning. Is that how we live? Do we live in this physical world, in this physical reality, and that's all there is. All that there is is what we can see or touch. And so we become very uh, involved with that. We're, we're very quick uh, to, to make a way to have food and to have a roof over our heads and to have clothing, to take care of our families. And life becomes all about only the physical realities of life. And Jesus is calling us To see something we can't see with our eyes. Some people only think that they believe in Jesus. Because they believe certain things about Jesus. But they are not yet trusting Jesus to save them. They are not yet surrendering to Jesus as their Lord, their master, their their boss. For some people, religion is all about rules and rituals. To some, being religious means that you live by a list of do's and don'ts. You associate only with those people who follow the same list you do. You don't have anything to do with anybody else. Many religions have at their core a system to follow where you try to work your way to heaven. You know, you just satisfy these things, complete these tasks, keep this going, and God will reward you at the end. But this, too, is living only at a physical level. I only believe what I can see or touch, what I can do. And we try to somehow stay in charge of that, stay in control of that, and achieve our own salvation. But Jesus said that's not how it works. The work of God is to believe in the one that he has sent to save us. When I dare you to believe this morning, which I want to do, I want to dare you to believe. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship, a relationship with Almighty God. I'm not talking about following rules or performing certain rituals in the name of some religion or another. 
I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not even talking about uh, having the right doctrines or believing everything you need to believe about the Bible. I'm talking about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. If you will dare to believe in Jesus, you will be saved. If you will dare to believe in Jesus, you can have hope, both for this life and the life to come. If you dare to believe in Jesus, Easter will mean more to you than it has ever meant before. Because it will change the way you look at life itself. There is much more to life than the physical reality that you could touch or see. Just believing that Jesus is real, just believing that Jesus is God's son is not enough. You know, the devil and his demons do that. <laughs> and it's gotten them nothing. Because they really don't believe in Jesus, they only believe about Jesus. And sometimes people make that same mistake. If I just know the right things and I believe those things about him, I'll be fine. But what Jesus is wants is a relationship with them. I dare you to believe in Jesus. I dare you to put your trust and confidence in him. You can't save yourself, but Jesus has already saved you if you believe in him, if you desire to follow him. And here is hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. There's a boy named Philip. He was a boy about eight years old. He had Down syndrome. And suddenly, uh, he... He started going to this church, and he was included in a, a Sunday school class of other eight-year-olds. These boys and girls were, were not readily accepting of Philip because he was different than them. But their teacher just kept including him and you know, kept involving him in what they were doing as a class. And eventually, the children began to care about him and to accept him as part of their group, though not fully. You know, there's still just a little bit of hesitancy there because they just didn't understand where Philip was coming from, what he was doing, and why he wasn't. He didn't look the same. He didn't act the same as them. Well, the Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought in large plastic Easter eggs in order for them to do a little activity with that in class. And they all thought that was kind of odd because we did that last week. Well, she's got eggs again this, this day. And they're all empty eggs. She gave the children each one of them. And he, she said, we're going to go outside. And, and what I want you to do is find somewhere outside some symbol for new life. And so you go around, we'll go out around the building, and you figure out some things that are symbols of new life for you. You put that inside your egg. Then we'll all go back inside, and we'll open up them one by one, and we'll see what each of you have come up with. So for a few minutes, they all ran around the churchyard, and they were looking at things, and they were picking up things like blades of grass, you know, and one of them found a butterfly and, and, and uh, you know, found that, and somebody found some other, like a flower, and, and they thought these are all symbols of new life. So they all got them in their eggs. They went back inside. She laid them down on the table, and she began to open them one by one. And as she would do that, they'd all kind of ooh and ah. Okay, there's another symbol of new life. And they got down to the last one, and Phillips had not been opened yet. And suddenly, she was opening his, and it was empty. Nothing inside. And one of the kids, of course, his kids would immediately say, well, that's stupid. You, you didn't even do what you're supposed to do. We were all supposed to have a symbol of new life, and you didn't do it. And Philip objected. He says, no, I did. He said, no, you never do things right. You don't get it, what you're supposed to do. I did it. I did what I was supposed to do. There's a symbol of new life. It's empty because Jesus' tomb was empty. And immediately the class gained new respect for Philip because he saw something they had not seen. 
From then on, he became a respected, even loved member of their class. Sadly, Philip died not long after that. He got an infection that most children would be able to bounce back from, but he didn't. And so all of these eight-year-olds found themselves at his funeral. And at the end of the funeral, all of them filed past his coffin. And they took their empty eggs and they laid them on top of his coffin as a sign of honoring him and of honoring Christ. Those empty eggs symbolized hope. You can't see hope necessarily. You can't see faith necessarily. You may see evidences of these things. It symbolizes for us the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, hope and eternal life, which we have yet to see. You can't see new life. You can't see eternal life, but they're real. They're realities we have yet someday to enjoy. And I dare you to believe in Jesus Christ today. You know, God loves you no matter what, and he will love you forever. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've become. God loves you just, just as you are. And he's got something better for you. But the beginning of that is for you to do what Jesus said. Believe in the one that God has sent to save us. It doesn't matter what you've ever done. God still loves you, and God wants you to come home to him. And he's able to forgive, willing to forgive any sin, any evil thing that you have ever done. Jesus invites you to come to the foot of his cross where he gave his life, where his blood was shed so that it was, as Steve said in our communion time today, uh, the very thing that washed away our sins, that freed us from the punishment that we deserve, that paid the price, that redeemed us, and gave us the opportunity for new life in Christ. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It doesn't matter whether you're the richest man on earth or a beggar in Calcutta. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter you know, if you're the president of the United States or if you're a person that nobody even knows about living out on their own somewhere, barely existing. Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. The only people who get saved are people who come humbly to meet Jesus in simple faith. I want us to think for a few minutes about ourselves and think about our relationship with God because it's not about rules, it's not about rituals, it's about a relationship. Where are you in your relationship with God today? I want us to listen to a song, come to the cross, and I want some very real moments in your life to happen over the next few minutes. Would you watch it with me? Where's your heart today? Doesn't matter what you've done. There's room at the cross for you. There's room for everyone. I, in this, this group today, I would imagine there are as many stories as there are people. Wouldn't you? There are stories of people that God has been trying to touch your life. God has been trying to, you know, prompt you. God has been trying to get your attention. And you just bump him away. You push him away. There are people that at times are open, at times are willing, maybe, maybe when they're going through a struggle, maybe when they need some help. But it's only that physical thing. Take care of me physically and I'll, I'll love you. I, I want you then. There are others that have begun to see 
started to see what that relationship with Jesus Christ can mean. And the hope that it brings to them is unstoppable. The hope that it brings to them cannot be lost. Because it's not about their circumstances. It's not about whether they succeeded or failed. It's about Jesus. And Jesus is offering to each of us new life. He's offering to us hope for today and for tomorrow. But he needs to know that's what you want. And we have to believe in him. We have to put our faith and our trust and our confidence in him. I dare you. I dare you to believe. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we could uh, look into your word today. Not just to gain a story. Not to gain some understanding but for life change. Because your word is living and active. Your word touches our hearts at a deep level where nothing else touches us. Your spirit is speaking to us today. Whether we are not yet a Christian or we've been a Christian a long time, there's something that your spirit is saying. May we not put him off. May we not ignore him today. May we make whatever step is necessary, that next step, so that we can have the relationship with Jesus that will change our lives. It's been a very serious time, Lord, where it's still going on. I pray that we'll finish it seriously together. Through Christ, I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song together in a moment. Talks about Jesus being our king. Now the people wanted Jesus to be a king, but to be an earthly king according to their design, according to their desire, this king is his own king. This king rules our lives. This king we are glad to serve because he knows what's best for us. He knows exactly what we need and he provides for us far more than we ever dreamed. If you desire to give your life to Jesus Christ today, to put your faith in him, to believe in him, to do the work that God said, this is the one thing I want from you, is to believe in the one that I've sent. Would you come up here? Just be seated along this front row. I'm not going to you know, make you do anything in front of everybody else, uh, you know, just say anything. But why don't you come up here and say, I've got to make a decision. I'm not leaving here until I make that decision. And we'll talk with you after the service today and help you make that decision to follow Christ. Would you be bold enough to believe in Jesus? I dare you to believe today. Let's stand together. Let's sing. If you have a decision to make for Christ, you just come up here, be seated on this front row.